Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome everyone to the Umarpreneur Live podcast where I interview Muslim entrepreneurs and I bring you people from all walks of life to share with you their stories, their journeys through entrepreneurship. And today with me, I have none other than Brother Badis Nuyuat. I hope I pronounced that right, Brother. Assalamu alaikum. How are you? Good. How are you today? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you, Brother. And um, it's really interesting how we actually met and how I discovered uh, your work was when you actually shared uh, your most recent book that you just wrote. And I'll give people a background of uh, what it is that you do. So Brother Badis is the founder of the Irving Muslim, which is a community-run newsletter, as well as Ehsan Company. And this is an apparel company um, that focuses on Islamic clothing and has celebrities like Khabib Nurmagomedov, if you guys know UFC or MMA, uh, who was actually wearing one of their t-shirts, which is really cool, mashallah. Uh, and most recently, which is also the reason why I wanted to bring him on, was he authored a book titled uh, The Adventures of Nuruddin. And this follows the story of a young Tunisian man named Farid who embarks on a journey and experiences firsthand the importance of loyalty, courage, and most of all, his faith, which is Islam, right? So uh, beautiful, beautiful book, mashallah, that I want to highlight and I want to talk about today as well and your journey writing this book and just your journey as an entrepreneur. So I'm really excited to do this. Bismillah. Zakir for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you, bro. So if you'd allow me, actually, I would love to, I don't usually do this on, on these podcasts, but I think I thought it would be fun to do it today. And what I would love to do is I would love to read a quick little excerpt of your book, so okay. I'd actually love to read a few lines, a few pages here, just to give people a taste of, of, of this book and what's inside and how well written it is. So is that okay? Do I have your permission to do so? Yes, of course. Yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Bismillah. So I'm going to read you guys an excerpt of this book. So I'm not going to start at page one. Uh, I'm going to start right in the middle um, of the story or in the beginning of the story, but not at the very beginning and give you guys a little excerpt that I personally really enjoyed. Uh, to give you a taste of what you can find in this book and definitely one that you should check out and is available on Amazon uh, right now and I believe Kindle version as well, The Adventures of Nuruddin. So let's begin. So, Bismillah. Let's go ahead and pull up the page here. All right, so. After a couple of hours, Farid was finally getting the hang of things. The goal, Khalid said, was to make the sword feel like an extension of your arm. When you build the motions into your muscle memory, you will become much more effective in battle. By the evening, the crew got together for Maghrib prayer and dinner in the kitchen. Khidr and Aruj gathered everyone and ushered people to complete their wudu for prayer. Do you know the adhan? Aruj asked Farid. Yes, Captain. Great, go ahead and perform it. The direction is that way. And he pointed toward the corner behind Farid's left shoulder. Farid turned to the Qibla and took a deep breath. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah. And some people began murmuring behind Farid as he continued the adhan. When he finished, he turned to see a bald, red-faced man inches from his face. You made the adhan wrong, he accused. You only said Allahu Akbar twice in the beginning. And Farid turns around, that's what I learned from my mother. She studied under scholars in Kairouan, Farid said, intimidated. Arush stepped in. Brother, there are different ways to do things that are accepted by the scholars. Farid here studied under the Maliki Madhab, whereas many of us come from the Hanafi Madhab in the East. There's no need to make these accusations. Rather, we must learn from and respect each other. My apologies, Captain. I thought there was only one right, right, one right way of doing the Adhan. I have not learned about the Maliki Madhab, the man said to Farid. No problem, brother, Farid said. We are all united under Islam. 
Farid realized that many of the crew members had come with Khidr and Arush from Ottoman lands, from places like Istanbul and Damascus. He saw it as an opportunity to absorb the various cultures and languages that he heard among his crewmates. With the conflict resolved, Khidr readied the men for prayer, and Arush stepped forward to lead as the Imam. After they completed the prayer, Arush stood and gave a quick Islamic reminder. Remember the rules of war. Uh, one second, I actually just lost my page. So let me pull that back up, guys. I don't know why I just lost this. So he says, remember the rules of war. And let me pull this up because this is the part that I want to highlight, guys. And I just lost my page, subhanAllah. Give me one second. I'm going to find it. All right, bismillah. So we're back at it. So he looks at him and he says, remember the rules of war. Arush emphasized, do not attack women and children. Do not kill livestock and burn crops unless it is an absolute need. Finally, do not attack monks and ascetics. Leave them to practice their faith. Are we clear? Aye, captain, the crew bellowed. And end this chapter. So I wanted to highlight this little quick excerpt, mashallah, of this book, The Adventures of Nur al-Din. And from what, from what I read here, which is, I would think, not even one or two pages, but you can very clearly see uh, how you've incorporated the teachings of Islam in this book and incorporated, you know, educational material that, you know, young adults and children and even us as, you know, grown adults can learn from and remember, right, the rules of war and even, you know, that there are different madhabs in Islam and there's still ex there are different ways of doing the adhan and all these beautiful concepts. So, uh, mashallah, I really love what I read so far and I, I definitely encourage you guys to check it out. Brother, what do you think of this excerpt? And tell me, what was, you know, your thought process writing this book? What were you thinking of when you were writing this and for who did you write this book? Yeah, you know, thank you for um, <laughs> reading a, a passage from the book. It's really cool to hear someone else read it, you know. Um, I just started writing this book in late January. I was in my last semester of college or about to begin the last semester of college. And mm -hmm. I had been writing for two, three years. I was, uh, you know, with the Irving Muslim, I was writing articles and also for other outlets in the local DFW area. Okay. And uh, I felt that I wanted to take the next step. And I was like, I want to write a book. Um, and so I started to think, what do I want to write about? Who For who do I want to write about? And the second question came easy to me. My four younger brothers. Um, I've, I've read a lot of books in my youth. And I see my brothers also doing the same. They really love to read. And I wanted to, I realized that in my youth, I didn't have any books that where I felt like a representation of Islam. Um, Although, you know, there's so many exciting books out there, but there's nothing for where we can read it and feel like, oh, that's that's my culture. That's my religion. And I wanted to change that because my brothers are still in that same stage where they're still reading and growing. And so if I can put something out there while they're in this stage to give them that feeling, then that was my goal. Um, you know, of course, I was going to publish self-publish it on Amazon, but I was not really thinking um, I was not really expecting many people to read it. You know, my whole, my whole, like my dua when writing this book was if just one person, you know, benefits from it and feels closer to Allah because of the words I wrote, then I'm satisfied. Um, and I hope that that um, is achieved. Um, so, you know, I really wanted to impress upon the young readers, these messages of unity, um, a, a positive reinforcement of their beliefs and their culture and their religion. Um, but, you know, one one of the major things, like in this passage, as you read, is just that 
unity um, mm-hmm. from the part where the they, they say, you know, we're all united under Islam. Because in this day and age that we see, you know, I'm an avid reader of international news from a young age. And there's so many conflicts, there's so many wars. And when you go into it, you just see like so much dysfunction. You see so much um, people fighting each other and you don't even know why. And so if we can, if we can find a way to, to teach the next generation that, you know, just because we have these small differences, that doesn't mean that we have to, you know, fight each other and go to war against each other. Um, and I know that there's a lot of problems caused by imperialism and by colonization, which I also go through and study in this book. But I think that it's, it's, it also needs to come from us where we accept each other for our differences and just unite, unite with each other because if we're united, then no one can take us down. Definitely, definitely, bro. And, and that's a beautiful, beautiful mission that you were trying to accomplish with this book, mashallah. And, you know, to kind of zoom out of that and actually understand a bit more of your background and, and, and how you got to this point where you're now, you know, you've now written this book and, and what you're doing currently. If we could just start right at the beginning and you can share with me, because you have a, a history of entrepreneurship and you have a history of starting businesses and you, you founded the Irving Muslim and, and, and your clothing line. So I want to know what was the first business uh, that you ever started. Can you share with me the journey that inspired you to to become an entrepreneur? Yeah, you know, I don't have the story of being a child selling lemonade, but <laughs> um, I think you know, Hassan Company was, I would say, my first my first business, and that was mm-hmm. just uh, you know three years ago. Okay. And uh, the the reason that I started that business wasn't really just a hunger for entrepreneurship, but it was just something that I wanted to create like and I had a mission that I wanted to achieve mm-hmm. and I think everything that I've done so far is just that it starts with that it just starts with seeing something that I want and seeing that it's not being done yet and so I just go ahead and do it um and so with the sand company the reason that I started was when I was in high school I started the Muslim Student Association at my um, at my public high school with a few friends and uh, at the end of the year the first year we had a decent amount of people mm-hmm. uh, maybe 20 30 people coming to Juma, coming to events and so at the end of the year one of the people who uh, was attending our group suggested making merchandise and i said you know sure why not every other group makes merchandise so we went ahead we started looking for ideas we started i went on uh this website called Custom Inc. Okay. One of the more popular websites for uh, printing merchandise. And um, they have a really good tool on their website where you can like add art and add text and, you know, move it around. So this was just uh, some experimentation that I was doing. And we came out with a shirt at the end of the year. And so the, this shirt became one of my favorite shirts because it had an Islamic message on it. Mm-hmm. and not only did I think so, but a lot of people who were, who bought the shirt also said the same thing to me. You know, like I love wearing this shirt because you know it's it, it's there was a quote on the back of the shirt of of uh, what's it called a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu Can you mind sharing with us what that quote was? You know, I'd have to go back it? and look for it. I think <laughs> it's like uh, be a, uh, be for the truth, even if it's against yourself. Mm-hmm. And. Um, so you know a lot of people just really loved having being able to carry that message with them even 
you know, they didn't have to do anything. All they have to do is put on a shirt and everywhere they go, they go to Walmart, they go to school, they go to soccer practice, but that shirt, that message is being shared and they don't have to do anything, you know, like they don't have to go and give the dawah physically. All they have to do is wear the shirt and it performs as dawah for them. And so that was really powerful for me and a lot of people. And a couple of years after that was when I had the realization that I want more shirts like this. And so I just started going back into that custom ink. I found my old designs from high school still on there. And I started making new designs. And uh, I made like four or five designs. And then I just went to a few friends. You know, it's always good to make sure have a good few friends that you trust their advice. Um, they have diverse perspectives. They have diverse backgrounds. And you get a really well-rounded, um, like, suggestion, you know. Mm-hmm. So I went to some of my friends and I showed them these four or five designs. And I said, okay guys, uh, vote for which one you like. And so the top one that I got was the Salah design. If you saw on uh, my website or the one that Habib wore, it was a Salah design. It says, um, it shows each position of prayer and then it says Salah um, under that. So it's a very simple design, but it's definitely, impactful just from me wearing it i've had so many people ask me questions what is that and i tell them oh this is so loud this is how we pray in islam these are the different positions and they're just they learn something and they're they're inspired to you know to just think about allah think about god think about prayer even if they just think about that then that's that's an achievement so beautiful thank you so this design um one out of my friends and so i spent maybe like a few hundred dollars, which is half of my savings at the time, to uh, to make 50 shirts, just 50 shirts, because I didn't know how much would sell. And uh, within a couple of weeks, I finished those 50 shirts, and then I went back and made 100 shirts, and uh, it just kept growing from there. And yeah. one of the uh, things that helped me, a catalyst at the beginning, was uh, I got very lucky with... Uh, not UFC fighter Khabib, but UFC fighter Zabit, Magomed Sharipov, who's from the same town as Khabib. So what happened was he was fighting in Dallas. He had a fight scheduled in Dallas. And uh, he w- I, I basically just like cold messaged him on Instagram. <laughs> and, uh, you know, fighters usually come a few days before they have to get in the right um, physical you know, standpoint, they have to eat good. Um, just be, you know, you don't want to f- fight with jet lag. So he's coming from Russia. Obviously, he needs a few days to get into the swing of things here. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought of, I thought that he would be doing that. And so I reached out to him because he's also, you know, he's coming from Russia. He doesn't know anybody here. He's probably just going to be sitting in his hotel. So I crafted a message and I said, Hey, uh, Zabit, Salaam do you want to visit the masjid while you're here? I can take you to one of the biggest masajid in the in this area. And then um, basically he left me on red. I saw like scene, you know, 10.54 p.m. And then so I was like, oh, damn, he doesn't want to come. <laughs> and then, and then I, after like a few seconds, another realization came to me and I said, oh, what if he doesn't understand English? So I took that same message, I threw it in Google Translate to Russian, and I sent it back to him, and I waited, I was just staring at my phone, and then I see him typing, and then he was like, yes, and then he said, masjid, 
and he did the emoji like this you know this emoji <laughs> yes he said yes masjid and then he did this emoji and then i was like oh and then i was like okay when can i get you and he was like come now <laughs> so i literally just drove over and i went to this hotel he gave me that dress of his hotel and um he had his coach and a fellow fighter who was his good friend with him so I was just driving back to you know my masjid with uh, three Russian fighters I didn't know how to talk with in the back seat, um, and it, it was interesting because they knew no English, like maybe two words, and I knew really? no Russian. I, they thought I knew Russian because of the message I sent, but it was just Google Translate. Right. So, how did you overcome that language barrier? Yeah. So honestly, we were communicating with like grunts and stuff. <laughs> Mashallah, but, amazing. Um, so yeah, basically we got to the masjid. Um, I I told uh, some of my friends, you know, tell everyone to come meet the meet the guests. Uh, we got to the masjid. We we got a little early before maghrib. We sat in the masala. We just you know, sat down quietly. Mm -hmm. We're just like reflecting. Um, not much to talk about when you can't communicate, but it was nice. And then after the prayer. Um, I went over to the to the microphone and I said, you know, I told the community we have some guests here, um, Russian UFC fighter. He's fighting soon. Make dua for his fight. And then I brought him up with me, and everyone was like, you know, you making dua for him, taking pictures, saying salam. And uh, I think, I think they really uh, were surprised, like, with the amount of Muslims. And you know, a lot of people from other countries don't think that Islam really exists in America. They're like, mm. yeah, there's Muslims, but like, you know, they're they're all they're they're all liberals or something, you know, they don't <laughs> they're not really practicing. But when they come here and they see the level of commitment in our communities, then they're like, wow, Islam is you know thriving here in America. Mm. Um so I think that that did shock them a little bit and they're just you know a, a happy um realization that you know there's a lot of Muslims here, you know, there's a good community here. Um they were they were happy and they messaged me later that they um they had a good time. I took them back to their hotel after, and Zabit won the fight. Um, so we were, we were all happy about that. Amazing. And so that gave me a very strong boost in the beginning, because I was getting orders from like immediately international orders, because uh, I gave the shirt to Zabit at the masjid mm -hmm. while while we were there. Um, him and his coach and his friend, I gave them all uh, shirts. And uh, we took we took some pictures and I posted it on my uh, social media. It's one of the first posts on the SN Company Instagram. And uh, yeah, so immediately after that post, a lot of attention came from people who were trying to order from Russia, from different countries in Europe. So it became um, it was a good boost in the beginning. And then later, um, for the Khabib story, that was even more lucky because that you know I. It, it just it's just something that happened i wouldn't say like i i i even i never even talked to khabib he just ended up wearing my shirt so the way it happened was it was right before the the connor fight so this is one of his most hyped up fights of all time mm. and you know everybody's talking about it the media is talking about it the espn is doing exclusive interviews with khabib uh Connor is, you know, he was being rude to Habib, his family, his religion, everything. So we had so much uh, build up to this fight. And at the right before, maybe a week before the fight, I knew that Habib was, I, I was, I was messaging him, trying to 
like you know cold message him email his team email his uh his teammates his coaches you know i was trying everything and so uh i didn't get anywhere so i decided that i was going to ship a shirt to his mma gym in san jose and just see if he wears it so i packaged a little note I packaged a shirt. I found the address of his uh, gym where he works out at when he's in America. It's in San Jose, California. And um, I just shipped it and, and waited, hopefully. And so I was looking on his social media, like probably every day, checking if he you know, was wearing it or anything. And then I see uh, these, video, these pictures and videos start to you know, flood social media because there was this group of people called, they named themselves Habib's Army. They were like young Muslim guys in the San Jose area. And they basically all came at, to his gym. And just like, you know, right before the Connor fight, they were just like hyping him up. They were like celebrating. They were like telling him, you know, taking pictures. And so in all these pictures and videos that were being posted on social media, Habib was wearing the t-shirt. So each person that posted a picture with Habib was, you know, you know, get, getting me free publicity technically. Uh, but um, then after that, I was like, oh, he's he's just, you know, he just decided to wear the shirt on his own. That's cool. And then after that, in the ESPN interview, he was also wearing the T-shirt, and they even showed a little clip. Some I, I don't know how they got it, but they showed a clip of him unwrapping the package I sent and taking the shirt out of the package and going like this. And, uh, and and then putting it on. So in this whole process, I didn't talk to him once, but it just happened. Just I just decided to take the risk. And I think, you know, what's the risk? It's just a, a free T-shirt, which if, I, if he didn't get it, I lost some money on shipping and the T-shirt cost. But the upside was a lot if he were. And so it did, it worked. And, uh, you know, that gave me a huge bump in publicity as well. And I was able to get a lot of orders internationally. And uh, alhamdulillah, you know, it just happens. I think a lot of times you just have to just try things and, you know, don't get your hopes up too much because then you're going to get crushed if it doesn't happen. But just, you know, try things in different places and just see what works. And I think that's how um, a lot of this stuff happened for me. Like I'm not a master planner or master marketer or anything or PR specialist. Right. Um, you know, just selling T-shirts out of my car or <laughs> at the masjid, and then this just happens because, you know. Subhanallah. Well, you, you, there's one thing I want to highlight because you mentioned that uh, number one, really amazing story. But you mentioned both times that oh, I got lucky, I got lucky. But I don't believe that there's any luck involved because you clearly took action and you took the right steps to make this happen. And this is what uh, people fail to understand who are interested in entrepreneurship or aspiring entrepreneurs. It's that. You know, a lot of times we hear the stories and we think, oh, that person had a lucky break. You know, that person got featured by this celebrity or uh, by this influencer. But you clearly put in the work to actually find creative ways to connect with uh, Khabib and, 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 and with, you know, these fighters and, uh, and the Zabit as well. And then, you know, give them your product. And actually, you took the time to be like, hey, I, I studied and I saw that you're going to be in town on this day let me go out and actually, you know, have you experience what Dallas looks like, right? So, uh, and, and come to the masjid. So subhanAllah, I mean, you know, are people willing to go that far? Are they willing to, you know, take the time to go and 
you know, pick them up and take them to the masjid and then, you know, give them, give them a free uh, t-shirt. And then next thing you know, that actually helps grow your business. And that's what people don't understand is, you know, having, uh, having influencers and people who are following, you know, where your product or endorse you is so huge, right? Mm -hmm. It's so huge in business. It's, it's such a nice, it's such a great way to, to propel business growth. And yeah. when you, when you have influencers feature you and vouch for you, uh, it really just helps you kind of step up really quick, which is what happened to you, mashallah, right? And starting to get orders from Europe and everywhere else. So I know you mentioned lucky. I know you mentioned luck, but I don't think there is any luck involved, brother. I think this was all <laughs> very much uh, thanks to your effort and thanks to the work that you put in, right? And, and that's definitely not to be downplayed because I want the people listening to this, whether they're entrepreneurs, business owners, you know, to hear this and be like, wow, what could I possibly do? you know, within my industry, within my niche to, to make these kind of things happen, right? Yeah. And yeah. who do I respect, who do I admire, who do I follow, and how can I connect with them uh, in a way and, and, you know, give them give them my product or, or service and have them vouch for it, right? Yeah. And uh, subhanAllah, when you do that, you know, sometimes they they actually reciprocate and they're like, you know what, I appreciate you taking the time to show me around your measure or to send me your t-shirt yeah. and, and let me showcase it, mashallah. So, uh, definitely, definitely beautiful thing there. Do you want to add on to that? Go ahead, go ahead, brother. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I think you know, just an example is I've got, I've had um, a few other UFC fighters and people wear the shirt, like uh, you know Eddie from the Dean Show and some other influencers. Right. Um, and I, I agree with your point because now that I think about it, maybe five out of a hundred people respond to my messages, my cold mm -hmm. emails, my cold messages. Mm -hmm. So it, it does take a lot of effort um, and you will strike sometimes. But the fact is that you have to put in that initial effort. Um, mm -hmm. Nothing will happen if you don't put, your, put yourself out there and put just try some things. You know, you can't expect that um, like Habib is just going to buy my shirt online and wear it. Mm -hmm. you, know? you, you have to like just be a little crafty and, you know, in the beginning, when you're small, like no one, no one cares about you, of course. Sure. So you, you really do have to put yourself out there. But I'm just uh, grateful that um, that you know some people that I really respect, like Habib and um, Zabit and Eddie, have worn the shirt. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, that's awesome, bro. That's really, really beautiful. And there's a good message behind it, right? Uh, so that's also a bonus. Is that you know, inshallah, you're getting good deeds for everyone that does witness this shirt and that you've. Uh, put it together and manufactured it because they, you know, as you mentioned, uh, if they're a Muslim, they're reminded of Salah. And if they're not Muslim, they might be curious about it and research about it. And that's always a good thing. Um, what do you believe are the the top, because you, you right now, you're talking about cold messaging and cold emailing and things that for me, it's like, yes, like we're on the same level. But for some other people listening to this, they might, you know, they hear these terms like, ah, oh, you know, should I and do I and and they don't they don't put the work in. Let's be honest. They don't they don't put the work in. So what are the top three skills that you believe every entrepreneur needs to have? Um, if they want to be successful in business, what are skills that have benefited you in your journey? Yeah, I think the number one thing is uh, self motivation, mm -hmm. because when it's your business, no one's going to work for you. No one's going to tell you, "Yeah, you're doing a great job." Um, well, maybe some like your family and friends, but in general, the the person that wants success most should be you, and you need to be able to tell yourself, "I want this," and not just that, but start with a real motivation like a real solid reason why you are doing this business um, if it's just to make money then when you're not making money you're going to quit if it's just to become famous then when you don't see any level of fame you're going to quit 
So you need a solid reason why you're doing something. So with the Ihsan company, you know, I want to make shirts that do da'wah on our behalf. Um, with the Irving Muslim, which was a newspaper that I started um, in my community, like a physical newspaper. Um, the reason I started it was because there was a lot of negative publicity, like specifically in my in my area, in my community, in the news. And I wanted to counteract that. Mm -hmm. So I started writing articles, um, started passing out newspapers, uh, you know, just and in each article, the first edition, I wrote all the articles um, in an eight page newspaper. And each one was highlighting something good that someone in the community was doing or a good thing that happened. And, you know, I think that when we are always hearing bad news and bad things, it affects everybody in the community. And I saw how we were in a, in, we're all in a depressed like stage where, you know, the we keep getting battered by these bad developments, bad news, where we'll never, you know, you're never gonna see good things happen when you're always surrounded by bad things because no one's motivated to do a good thing. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to highlight those people, tell them that we're watching, you know, keep doing what you're doing um, and just in general, lighten the mood. So Alhamdulillah, um, that was, a, you know, that was started in a very dark stage, but I think our community has, uh, has stepped up and has is in a good spot right now alhamdulillah um you know i don't want to go too in depth um because it was you know it's just some things that happen in our community um very sad things but alhamdulillah we're, we're in a very good much better spot now mm -hmm. um you know so each thing that we do we should start with a very strong motivation and if you can tie it to your Islam, to your religion, it's going to be a hundred times stronger than anything else. Mm -hmm. um, because you're going to be inspired to, you're going to be inspired to ask Allah for help um, much more because you know that you're doing this partly or mostly on behalf of Allah and trying to use your position on this earth in a good way. Yeah. And so when you have that, when you have that tied to your mission, you're going to be much stronger. And, uh, you know, you can tie anything to your Islam. It doesn't have to be very specifically uh, like a Muslim nonprofit or something. It can be just um, you want to create jobs in your community to uh, help people feed their families and raise their kids um, or take care of their elderly parents. Just as simple as that. If you, if you can tie your mission to that, then in all the, you know, hard times of your business, when you're feeling um, you know, you're not seeing much success, you're struggling, you're, um, you're in a tight spot. It's very easy to quit, but you're going to remind yourself of why am I doing this? Um, and sometimes you even lose motivation. Um, and that's when you need to go back to your original, you know, you should write down that motivation somewhere. So you can go back and like, I have, I have a journal where I write down my motivation for whatever I do. Mm -hmm. So when you're in that tight spot, when you're saying like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I don't know if this is successful, if this is going anywhere. Um, you know, you go back to that and you read what you told yourself, you know, whenever you started that business. And that's your purest, in, um, sincerest intention when you wrote that. And you remind yourself of why you wanted to do what you're doing. And so once you read that, then you're like, okay, now time to get back in the lab, time to go back to work. Uh, you know, it'll put you back in the right mood. 
And if you decide you don't want to continue with a business, then that's fine. But you should, you know, it should not be out of just like a, a weakness of, you know, things are hard. It should be out of a, re of a, you're either you're pivoting, you want to go in another direction. You want to, you know, start a new, um, go in a new space. That's, you know, completely fine. I got it. Definitely. So I really like that you said that and self-motivation is huge because, you know, what you mentioned resonates with me and I can right now think of, you know, so many entrepreneurs that I, that I work with and that I, I speak to on a daily basis that face this issue, right. Of that consistency when it comes to working on your business. And it's so important, right. To work consistently on your business. And only when you have a clear purpose behind what it is that you're doing, can you bring that level of consistency and effort and hard work every single day? And so finding that why, right. And as you mentioned as well, finding a purpose behind what it is that you do. And if it's also even connected to Islam, then even better, because you can, as you mentioned, work towards that, knowing that you're working towards something to hopefully please Allah as well, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so that hopefully will encourage you to push harder and to push further uh, and to, to drive forward to the success of your business. I want to ask you about uh, the community newsletter that you created because as you mentioned, you, you created this in a time where you felt like the community was uh, in a bad place or, or that at least there wasn't any positive reinforcement and positive news and, and something to highlight the actual achievements of the community uh, present. And so you decided to find, uh, an fun, sorry, you decided to create a newsletter uh, for this community. So what was your thinking behind that? Because that's a pretty big endeavor. And how did you go about distributing it uh, to the people around you? So walk us through that process a little bit. Yeah, so I, I was also in the uh, newspaper club in high school. Mm -hmm. And so I had some experience writing, you know, short form articles. And I remember the tool that we used for creating that newspaper and printing it. And it's a very simple tool. You just in input your text and it will print the newspapers and ship it directly to you. So all I needed to was create content. And so I went to work. Um, I did some. Uh, interviews. I've tried to find out what was happening in the community. Um, one of the best things that um, I'm like I did for that newspaper that I'm, I'm really happy about was this monthly spotlight, which was the back page of the newspaper. And so the, for the monthly spotlight, I, I chose one figure in the community and just really went in depth on their background and their story and what they do for the community. Um, I feel like a lot of times we don't know like the back the the story of people we, we see their face every day or you know as much as we go to the masjid but we don't know really where they came from who they are especially immigrants you know there a lot of times we just know them as when they started coming to the community we don't know their story back home so and i want to humanize these people so i went in and just interviewed them and told their stories to the community and i think that brought us a little closer together um and then also just like developments like there was a brother in the first edition um there was a brother who was running for local city council and so i interviewed him about his um his campaign his ideas um uh, what he wanted to achieve and uh took a nice photo and just uh published that that was on the front page um and so these kind of stories just highlighting good things and just spreading good stories and telling each other like what's happening who's doing you know positive things um where we should put our support and 
So eventually, you know, that first edition, I was writing everything, but eventually people started to say, Hey, I want to write something or we, some, a comic artist said, Hey, I'd like to make comics. Do you want to put comics in there? Um, hey, I, I like to write about sports. Can I be your sports analyst? And, you know, I wasn't making much money in the beginning, but, um, so a lot of people, you know, they just volunteered their time. They just wanted to, to contribute. So I built a team of, uh, you know, six, seven, uh, young people who wanted to contribute. And, um, eventually we, I grew the business through ads from local community members, you know, it's, it's, uh, something I learned from running a business with in the Muslim community is that a lot of people don't want to spend on advertisements. <laughs> so that was a tough thing. Um, I'd have to like run around and chase Muslim businesses, organizations, nonprofits, restaurants, um, you know, consultants, different people to, uh, you know, put a place, a monthly ad in the newspaper, but eventually, um, it became a, a good business. Um, and so this was a, a physical newspaper. So I would distribute it um, after Juma um, in a couple of different uh, messages in the community. So I was printing about a thousand newspapers um, and, you know, passing them all out. Um, and eventually, you know, it was a, it was a very, it was a good sustaining, uh, sustainable business. And then COVID, uh, during COVID, I had to stop because the message closed. Mm -hmm. um, so I couldn't do the, I couldn't do passing out physical newspapers anymore. And, um, you, you know, a lot of people would think that physical newspaper is dead and, you know, you have to go online. But I found that in my community, a lot of people actually, like when I was trying to sell ads, a lot of people preferred the physical newspaper than online. Um, and it might sound wrong, but that's how it was, you know, and I just had to take advantage of the opportunity. So I sold a lot of ads in the newspaper, but then, you know, when I had to stop selling the newspaper, the revenue took a big hit. So I started uh, having to pivot to online, um, started an email newsletter and, you know, revamped the website, put articles on there. Um, currently, um, I'm trying to, uh, get some more people to uh, take a more leading role in the Irving Muslim uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I have some other things going on um, and, you know, you, you have to be able to delegate and, you know, shift your priorities. So um, I do have some young people who I'm looking to um, train to take over the business um, and I'm, you know, trying to focus more on, you know, I just wrote this book and uh, Alhamdulillah, you know, I want to go further into this space, inshallah. Inshallah, definitely, bro. So, uh, so it's interesting how you overcame that challenge. So you realize the uh, the physical newspapers obviously was a little difficult to distribute that during COVID. So you went in and uh, essentially decided, okay, let's put a bit more focus online. But it yeah. also was faced with another challenge where people and professionals and businesses were more interested in placing ads when it was physical. So yeah. it's kind of like a catch twenty two. So what are you doing now to overcome that? Are you guys kind of slowly transitioning back to physical now that? messages are starting to reopen or, or how are you overcoming that challenge? Yeah, um, we're in the process of getting back to physical. Okay. Um, but over this, you know, it's been quite a while now and uh, online has really, um, you know, social media has grown. Um, our outlets on social media has grown. The website is doing better. So I think this has given us time to really uh, bolster our online presence and uh, our, our website. 
So I think it's going to be more of like a 50-50 moving forward. Rather, mm -hmm. And I think that's better because um, before I was really relying on the revenue from the physical paper. But now I think it's better because it's more sustainable. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, well, that's beautiful to hear. And I think that's some really great advice because you essentially decide, okay, we need to diversify. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, instead of having all of our revenue dependent on physical, now we transition to online, but physical is still important. So let's do half, half. Uh, and that's, and that's actually a business lesson right there. So I want to ask you now uh, to go back to uh, the adventures of Nuruddin and, and ask you one more question about that. So this book that you wrote, the adventures of Nuruddin and you know, the, the process that you've taken to write this book and to implement Islamic teachings within this book, what was that experience like for you? And, you know, I, I believe this is your first book that you've ever written so far. Is that correct? Yes. This is the first one. So can you walk us through what, what does that journey look like? If someone wanted to write a book, what does that process look like? How did you go through uh, your book writing and how did you end up publishing this? If you could just give us an idea of what yeah. that journey looks like. Yeah, please go ahead. And, you know, I'm going to start off by saying I think um, I have, I'm blessed that writing comes easy for me. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have to, I don't really have to, you know, like for an article, I would be able to, usually before, I'd be able to type that up in like a few minutes um, and not have to do much editing after. And so similarly with the book, I was able to finish um, the first draft of the book, which was maybe 95% kept um, in like, a little over a month. So each day I was writing maybe 10 pages. Um, and the problem with a lot of people is that they're, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's not like super hard to write 10 pages, but it's hard to, to visualize the whole story and, and push the story forward and make sure the characters are developed. So I think that like my whole process while writing was I would wake up early in the morning, and, uh, you know, I create, I, I, I made like these breakfast burritos, um, the, like once a week so that I would be able to wake up, um, pop it in the oven and eat it while, you know, getting started. So I didn't have to mm -hmm. waste time because I think the early morning is the best time to get started on work. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would just like type away at my computer for like four or five hours a day, um, and just come out with something, you know, some workable content. And so. It just, you know, as you're working, as you're writing, you just see the page count just go up and up and up each day. And that's encouraging to see. Um, so the whole process actually took me five months to to, to self-publish. And a lot okay. of that was learning um, the whole process of self-publishing. There's a lot to, you know, I didn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, I didn't have a publisher, even though I, I did reach out to some uh, publishers, but... I decided that I was going to go self-publishing route because I read a lot of stuff about how it's um, it's actually like a lot of authors are actually choosing self-publishing now because they get, um, you know, first of all, you get um, to control the whole marketing process. So with a traditional publisher, you get a small percentage of the sales and they do all the marketing for you. And with mm -hmm. self-publishing, you get a higher percentage of sales and marketing is up to you. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know, I just graduated with a marketing degree. Why don't I try, you know, learning how to market? Why don't I put my school to marketing a book? So um, I thought it would be a fun challenge to just, uh, you know, go with the self-publishing route. And um, 
So while writing a book, uh, I definitely, if you read it, you'll see like a lot of history, a lot of um, research. Um, and I did put a lot of research in the beginning. Um, even just like random small tidbits, I made sure that this is historically accurate or something, things like this have happened. And with the Islamic stuff, I had an imam go over my book um, to make sure that each message and each um, lesson is Islamically sound. I didn't want to spread, you know, there's so many books out there that are spreading like, you know, not really good Islamic messages. Like they mm -hmm. market themselves as Islamic books, but when you read it, this is kind of iffy, you know, like, oh, I don't know if children should be reading this. So I really wanted to make sure that it was historically accurate and Islamically sound. Mm -hmm. um, so I did a lot of research um, in the book. Uh, you'll see, you know, there's a there's many scenes in Spain and this was right after the Reconquista in Spain. So I had to recreate the like a, an idea of what it was like at that time in Spain. So it took a lot of research, you know, I was reading these um, huge, reading through these huge books and these random uh, uh, databases and stuff, trying to find out like, you know, a lot of this content is hidden. It's not, it's not easily available. Mm -hmm. You're not going to find it on Wikipedia or anything. Um, so, but I think that lent a lot of authenticity to it because it sounds like it's accurate. Um, and then, yeah. And then one, one more thing is, um, it's kind of interesting, but I read this book from Stephen King on writing and it was really helpful for learning, um, you know, tactics for and strategies for writing successfully. Um, and so one thing he said was there's two types of writers, people who plan everything like to the, to the sentence from the beginning. Um, and then there's people who just start writing and see what happens. And I found that I was number two. Um, I felt like as I was writing, like I was kind of just like watching a movie unfold in front of me and I was just narrating the movie. Um, so I'm just like, you know, typing away, like I, I can visualize it very clearly and I'm just typing away, telling the story, you know, and, I think that was really cool and fun for me as I was writing the book. Um, it felt, you know, it, it was it was enjoyable. Like even if I didn't make a sense on it, it was it was a fun project, a fun experience. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, and that was a question that I want to ask you, which is, you know, because Marshall, you, you read some of these books and stories, and it's like with these amazing twists at the end, and it's like, wow, did did he plan this? And then they tie the twist at the end to like things that happened in the first chapter, and it's yeah. like, wow. And it's so amazing and it's complicated and there's a million stories that tie together. And I want to ask you, of course, you know, with this book that you wrote, so this is more of a, you know, it's, it's more of a catered towards young adults, right? So I'm, I'm guessing it's simpler in terms of the progression and, and yeah. the way that the story unfolds. Yeah. But did you still have to map everything out in advance? Did you have to create the structure and the ending in advance and the main events before you wrote? Or did you just kind of improvise as you went along? Yeah, um, definitely the main things I wanted to make sure that um, were there, like mm -hmm. the main developments. I had a I had a, a, a timeline of events that I had, so I would. It was like it wasn't like very strict, but it was just an idea that I would look at um, to get an idea of you know what do I want to happen next. Mm -hmm. And so there was like a timeline of events. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. And sometimes I didn't follow it exactly because I found myself going a different way while writing. Um, but a lot of times, like the major stuff, I did make sure that those were sound because I wanted to make sure the structure was was good. 
Um, I don't want to like go too far in the impromptu end because then it could turn out like with a wonky structure and I didn't want that to happen. Mm -hmm. um, so, so you actually, you actually mapped it out a little bit, but you still improvised step yeah. by step. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. And so I, I want to ask you this as well, in terms of a, a, a writer, when it comes to actually, you know, self-publishing, what are some, some strategies that you can kind of share with us that authors or aspiring authors can, can, can look, can refer to to help them market their book or really just distribute their book and get seen and heard and hopefully generate those book sales? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm still very early in the process. It's been about 10, nine, 10 days since I published. Um, but I think that there's a very, there's a lot of strategies to, in your toolbox. Um, and I started off by really leveraging social media. Um, I, I started off by creating this like piece of copywriting that I would post on all my social medias and, uh, and really ha show like, like the, a strong reason why, you know, this book is worth something. Um, because so many people in the self-publishing space, uh, there's so many people in the self-publishing space, publishing books. If you go on Amazon, there's like something like 4 million books or 3 million books. And uh, it's just like, there's a lot of content out there and you really have to differentiate yourself. Um, I think even before you, you even start writing, you need to think about the marketing. Um, think about how what books are in the space that I wanna be in. Uh, what is my competition? How many, is it flooded with all these people? Like in, I think in the, uh, on Amazon, like the romance section is like, is the biggest. Um, so if you, if you are someone who wants to be in that space, you have to really find a way to have an edge on your competitors. Um, and marketing starts all the way back there where you have to see like, how am I going to differentiate myself? Um, so think about how you think about how your book is unique. And for me, my book was unique because there was just not a lot of authentic Muslim representation. Um, and the premise itself was, uh, was interesting about, um, Muslim, you know, pirates in history, which existed in history. Um, so I think that you really have to start off from the beginning with a solid ideas and, uh, find a way to differentiate yourself. Um, and then later on, um, when you're when you're fully published, you have to have that social media presence because I think that's how um, stuff spreads nowadays. Um, you know, even WhatsApp, for example, it's very popular with Muslims. So for me, WhatsApp was important. Um, I created this uh, this message, and I had you know I encouraged people to forward it, and I think it forwarded like in tons of groups. Um, so you have to look at. Uh, where your customers are for sure. Um, for me, where where Muslims are was was my goal. Um, on social media, I reached out to some different uh, pages as well. Uh, like we were talking about earlier, influencer marketing is very uh, very influential. Uh, so I found a few pages and people that I wanted to. Uh, I felt that their people, their followers, had that um, had the same uh, audience that I wanted to reach. And so I reached out to them with a message, seeing if uh, they would help me promote my book. Um, and also reached out to uh, some 
you know, the, some scholars and imams in the area who uh, supported it. And they uh, they told their followers, they told they spread it on their platforms. Um, so I think you need to start off with a good idea, um, one that you know is unique and one that you know will capture people's attention and one that's not in, you know, in a crowded space. And then as you, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm not a um, professional because I'm, I'm, this is my first book and I'm learning as I go. But um, so far, what I can say, what I've learned is uh, do that part and then uh, you leverage social media and uh, influencer marketing and go to the places where you know your audience is. Mm -hmm. And that's some really good advice. I think it applies not only to self-publishing, but to every, any product or business or service that you provide, really. Uh, social media is so huge nowadays. And even in our um, uh, business program, one of the things that we teach and focus on uh, when our students first start their business is how to get their initial client base on social media, right? Because it's a free platform that's available to you. And there's so many creative ways to use it to grow your business. So appreciate you sharing that, brother. I want to dive into a few questions uh, from the audience, inshallah, if that's okay with you. Uh, so a few questions here that we got. Um, one is uh, from our viewers on Facebook. So let's see here. Uh, this one is in regards to the apparel business that Badis runs, I'd like to ask, did he speak to two potential customers to see if there's a need uh, for the intended brand and how did the market research take place? Uh, so a little question on market research, essentially, how did you uh, determine if this was a business idea worth pursuing? Yeah, so um, I did talk a little bit about it, but I'll expand about sure. how I started off with a focus group. Um, yeah. I found a, a group of people in diverse sectors. Like I found a more middle-aged friend, found a really young friend, found someone who's uh, you know into fashion, found someone who's into uh, you know different interests. Um, and so with this group of people, I conducted my market research. I had my ideas. And uh, I, I showed them all my different designs. And I said, you know, let, help me choose which one do we go forward with? Um, and so I actually got a very resounding res uh, like uh, agreement on one design. Um, but I also had some other designs that I, went, that I created later because people also like that one too. Um, so I would say I started very small with a focus group. But um, as you get bigger, you can leverage your social media followers to decide what to do next. Mm -hmm. um, if I, you know, if I have a thousand followers on Instagram, and I have a few shirt designs out, and then I, I decide I want to make a new design, then the best thing to do is just go to those people who already like your work and say, "Hey, what what do I make next?" And you give them two options, and you tell them vote. Um, I think that's a very strong way to to continue to achieve success in your business. Mm -hmm. um, and just in, in terms of the need for this in the first place, um, I would say that it was a personal realization that there was not many shirts for Muslims. And even the ones I did find online through uh, looking, you know, searching keywords online and coming across a couple different businesses, um, I found that a lot of them were, they were not very, appealing to younger people um there there were like kind of like antiquated designs and things that didn't really make sense uh things that weren't you know proper grammar and stuff like i think that american muslims um needed better options um 
the the options out there just weren't so good. Um, okay. And you know, apparel is a very crowded space, but in terms of Muslim apparel, you can carve out a space for yourself. And I wouldn't say it's the largest market, but if you really go into it, you can create something for yourself. Right, definitely. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, there's there's one more as well that's really interesting. Um, two on about the book and i want to i want to go through them one of them is does your personal life or experiences uh have they are they part of the ideas uh that you've used for this book so did you did you use some of your personal experiences in those writings yeah um you know i'll i'll, I'll share one thing i had a i had a shorter book that i wrote first um but i didn't publish it um and i see that one as my practice for writing the, the book that i published um, it taught me a lot about creating stories and building characters. I think I really needed that experience. But in that, writing that book, I also found that it was very, very personal because I just really left my, I just left my heart open as I wrote and wrote everything. You know, you know, we have all these experiences and memories in our subconscious. And the way I told you that I write is I kind of just like let things flow. So in that first book, it was very personal. And so I also took that as a lesson that, okay, I need to probably be a little less personal. Um, but for my next book, the one that I did publish, it still has a lot of personal stories, but also it's mainly my personal um, ideas of how I, I see uh, problems being solved and how I see um, you know, flaws in the community and in society, how, how we can fix those. So it's less of my personal, personal stuff, but more of my personal ideas. And so definitely those ideas are in the book. And I think everybody who writes something, it's not, they're not just coming up with like random stuff that they're throwing into the story, but it's coming from their own experiences, their own, um, their own memories and their own, uh, the things that they see in, in their daily life. It's like, um, you know, I, I think all writers are observers of society and observers of their surroundings. And that all that stuff really goes gets into their work. Um, just me being raised as a Muslim in America taught me uh, or what had a lot of experiences that went into this book. And I think any other person who was raised as a Muslim in America or in the West is going to um, agree with some or they're going to feel that some of these experiences or some of these ideas um, are they, they can relate with. Um, so yeah, definitely just a lot of the ideas that I believe are important. I, I used to, uh, I really stressed in the book, like unity and, you know, courage and, um, mm. things, things like that. Like things unity that you've seen they're important to talk about. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Because each, each author has ideas that they want to promote mm. and it, it, it's not like they're trying to indoctrinate people, but obviously you don't write something just some people do, I guess, but you don't write something just for empty entertainment, empty fluff with no direction, no motivation. Mm -hmm. You write something because you have a worldview that you want to share with others. Mm -hmm. And so that that really comes through in in every book and and in my book. Right. That's beautiful, brother. That's really nice to hear. We're going to take one more question from the audience, inshallah. And uh, this one is if a publisher approaches you for a deal, would you take it? or remain as a self-publisher, knowing what you know now and the challenges you faced? Um, I think that's a very good question. Um, it's something that I'm still doing research on myself. 
Um, self-publishing is, uh, you know, it's a new space. One thing I'll say about self-publishing that I was not very um, happy about was uh, the experience with Amazon itself. Um, they're the biggest self-publisher um, and they own control like 90% of the market share for, for, uh, for selling books or, and eBooks, especially they control most of the share. Um, but the thing is that I didn't, I wasn't satisfied with the experience as an author with them because one problem that I faced was initially my, the category, you know, you want to be in a specific category for your book because that's the easiest way to get up the rankings for best-selling status. Um, so the categories that I had chosen for myself didn't show up on the Amazon listing for almost, uh, you know, nine days or, or almost a week. Right. And so I think that hurt me. It didn't hurt me like in a bad way, but it could have because I could have lost my chance after the initial release is when you are, have the most, um, you know, clicks and the most purchases on your book. Um, but I could have lost a lot of, uh, a lot of my ranking if they d didn't add those rankings. Um, so I wanted to be in teen young adult is uh, books about Islam, uh, teen young adult historical fiction um, in the Middle East and Africa. Um, so these categories, I was able to still be at um, number one, number two after a week of not being updated. Um, and I just noticed that other people, when they put their books, they got their rankings immediately. So I don't know what happened, but it was just like an unsatisfying experience mm. because, um, you know, I still did reach that best-selling status on these categories, alhamdulillah. But I just believe that it was just like there was nobody to talk to. You know, people who I talked to, they just seemed like they didn't know what to do. Right. Um, so it's just like self-publishing. If you were going traditional route, these people are professionals. They know how to do it. They've been doing it for years. Um, and they'll take care of you in, in these circumstances. So I think there's, there's benefits and, and, and pitfalls to both. Um, and I think I just need more research. Mm -hmm. But um, if, uh, if there was a publisher that wanted to work, I would consider um, you know, their, their uh, ideas of what, right. what to do next. I would, well, I would just have to really think about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What they could bring to the table. Exactly. What I they understand. Could Awesome, brother. Well, honestly, this uh, this podcast was uh, nothing short of entertaining and insightful and valuable because there were so many gems, so many gems shared. Uh, not only uh, the beautiful stories that we got uh, from your experience with uh, brother Zabit and Habib, uh, and also you know your experience as an author, but as well uh, the entrepreneurship tips, right? Like really being self motivated and and really figuring out your purpose and your passion, and also your drive. Uh, that you went and cold messaged and, and really reached out to people that you respected and admired uh, and saw how you could potentially, you know, collaborate together for your business. So, mashallah, so many lessons that, are, that we've learned today. If someone wants to uh, support you, buy the book or, you know, where do you want to lead people that listen to this? Where should they go essentially to support your work? Um, so I have a, I have a website, uh, badismiwat.com. Um, currently building it up and uh, trying to get it more professional, you know, trying to add an email list and things like that. Um, but if you would like to purchase a book and leave a review on Amazon or Goodreads, I think that would be really awesome. I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, so, yeah, you know, like the Amazon listing, we, awesome. can, put it, we can put it in the comments or something. Beautiful, um, for sure. Yeah. 
Awesome. So we'll drop the Amazon link in the description. You guys just go on Amazon and search Adventures of Nuruddin if you're listening to this and you'll find it available to you. And I think even on my end, uh, last time I checked, it was still listed as like number one or something in the category uh, of, of young adult fiction, uh, religious uh, fiction, so Islam-wise. So definitely looks like it's trending right now, which is amazing, mashallah. And I'm super proud for you and so happy to see that, you know, people are reading this book and the reviews so far are all five star and people are just really enjoying what you've written here. So how do you feel reading those reviews, man, and, and seeing the reaction so far of, of people reading this? You know, I think writing a book is a, like we talked earlier, is a personal, it feels personal because you're really putting your thoughts and your emotions onto the page. Um, and it's, you know, when I initially published it, you know, I had some family and friends saying, oh, it's good, but I didn't believe them. <laughs> right. Um, but when I, when I started seeing like random people posting their reviews and saying they liked it, it was very, um, I was very grateful for that. Alhamdulillah. That's awesome. It's awesome. So inshallah, if you guys are listening to this and you uh, are interested and curious about what this book includes and, and, and what exactly unfolds for Farid and his adventures, then go check it out. Amazon Adventures of Nuruddin. We'll drop a link in the comments for his website and for the Amazon book. Brother Zakalah for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you and really enjoyed our conversation and learning more about your work and what you do. So Zakalah it was really nice to have you. Well, yeah, come on. And thank you guys for watching as always. And if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other platform, give us a subscribe and make sure to rate the podcast and let us know how much you enjoy it. And if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe and we'll see you in the next one. Take care. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.